All right, so um, back into Corinthians this week, and uh, took a couple weeks off to do Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday and Easter messages, and uh, now we're back into 1 Corinthians in chapter 7. Um, when I was uh, y- younger, in my younger days, uh, I remember uh, paying attention and being aware of PTAs and PTOs, right, in schools, right? You know, parent-teacher you know, association, parent-teachers, all those crazy people. And they were, in my mind, kind of a little bit crazy, you know, just this perspective of, you know, parents who were a little maybe over the top, you know, assertive, a little bit over the top, like involved in their kids' lives, and maybe they needed to, you know, step back a little bit, right? And then I moved to Richland uh, about 15 years ago, and I uh, was looking for a way to get involved in the community, because I hadn't ever lived there, and was involved in church, and just had a philosophy that I needed to find a way to, to interact with people outside the church, right, you know, and, and so I happened to be sitting at uh, my son's middle school, uh, we had been in the area for just under a year, and, and they were, they had just built a brand new middle school. And so because they brand, built the brand new middle school, they were starting a brand new PTA. And I remember sitting there in the audience when they're talking about this PTA, and the Lord, for whatever reason, because he's just kind of comical that way, says, hey, uh, you should pay attention to that PTA thing. And I'm like, what? He says, yeah, that might be a good way for you to get in the community and get involved and get to know people outside the church. So I'm like, are you sure? That's kind of crazy, right? Uh, but anyway, he kind of continued to push me that way, and so I went ahead and wrote my name on the dotted line. If you're interested in, in, uh, in finding out what's going on with the PTA, this new PTA, you know, sign here. And so I signed there. A um, few months later, I got an email saying uh, we were going to have our first meeting and to talk about forming this new PTA. I show up at the meeting and sitting there and, of course, find myself surrounded by about eight or nine other moms no other dads. So, which is great. I mean, I, you, know, that's, I, I, you know, I love women, right, honey? I love women. Um, so, I'm sitting there in this, in this formational meeting talking about the, you know, creation of this PTA, thinking, oh, you know, it'd be great for me to be there and just to kind of see how this all works and, and what, to, you know, how I can encourage them and, and, and you know, whatever, right? And uh, they started uh, basically forming their board in the middle of this meeting. And uh, so they said, who wants to do this? And who wants to do this? And everybody's like raising their hands and they're going around the room. And and pretty soon everyone has volunteered to do one thing. And of course, the gal running the meeting says, well, we got one more position available. We need somebody to be a membership chair. I'm like, membership chair? What the heck is that, right? I mean, I've never even heard of such a thing. And and they all, all the eyes like turn towards me, like, you know. Yeah, what do you do in a situation like that? You know, do you just like stand up and run? Do you, you know, I mean, what, what do you do, right? Do you say, no, not me, no way, I ain't doing that. I mean, anyway, so I uh, said, <laughs> I said, what's a membership chair? <laughs> and so I think, oh, it's easy, it's no big deal. You just, you know, you just got to sign people up when they become members. Anyway, so I joined PTA. Uh, another time in my life, I... Um, was going to Bible college. And uh, at this point in my life, I had three kids. And I had a beautiful wife, of course, before the three kids, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had a family, right? And I had a full-time job. And I had a, kind of a part-time ministry as well. So I had all of this going on in my life, and the Lord calls me to school. So I go back to Bible college. And the Bible college I go to is literally a 50-minute drive from my house. And so I have to commute 
uh, every day for 50 minutes one way, 50 minutes back, right? And, and so Bible college for me was like, I knew I had to do it, but it, when I showed up on campus, I had no interest in talking to anyone. And, uh, not only was I older than everybody else, not only what, I was the only one in the room that had kids, right? I was, not only was the only one who in, in the room was married, right? I mean, I, I had no desire for relationship. And so for four years, I, that was my goal, was just to show up for class, just keep my head in my book, uh-huh, uh-huh, write, write notes, take the tests, and leave, and hopefully no one would talk to me, right? I mean, that was really what I was hoping. I just, like, I had no time for relationship. Uh, but about three years in, uh, there was this group of guys that kind of, they you know, they just kept, like, being in the same classes as me, and we kept kind of interacting, and somehow I got the, you know, a nickname. My nickname was Copper. <laughs> I don't, just because I was American and I had a mustache at one time, so they thought I looked like, you know, a police officer or something. I don't know. But anyway, I, that was my nickname. Didn't even know it was my nickname until these guys, like, three years in, they finally told me, oh, yeah, we call you Copper. I'm like, seriously? Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> and so these guys drew me into a, a group of guys, in this group of guys, and we began to meet weekly and have, you know, kind of just a time to interact with each other and develop a really sweet relationship. One other time, uh, uh, well, really, most of my life, I was a youth pastor for 25 years, right? And and so, um, not quite 25, but 20-ish years, all right? And, uh, you know, as, you know, when I first started, like, I was 21, 22 years old, so it was almost like one of them, right? You know, so it kind of made sense. But the older I got, the more I realized, like, I wasn't one of them, right? And, and, you know, you get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm no longer cool anymore, and and, and just kind of out there, right? I don't know that I was ever cool, actually, but anyway, um... But I, but I realized that the older I got and the more I did youth ministry, I looked at youth and I was like, you guys are just, you just, I just don't want to deal with you. Like, you're, you're, the, what, the, the world that you live in is just not my world. I mean, you guys are, you know, you're, you're filled with drama. I mean, you just, you just, you complain about, you know, you know, teachers, you complain about your mom who said that you had to do the dishes. You, you complain, I mean, it's like, seriously, get a life. This is just, you are so ridiculous right now, right? But God continued to have me in this ministry, interacting and having relationships with these teenagers, developing those relationships and, and, and learning from them and encouraging them and loving on them and them loving on me. And, and it was a kind of a beautiful thing. And so why do I tell all these crazy stories? Because I think many of us have had times in our life, and maybe we're in that spot right now, where there is, a, 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 as we look at the world around us, we like look at them and we go, this, this is just horrible, right? We, we look at our culture and we go, this culture is just messed up. American culture is just, it's going in a really bad direction. It's already bad as it is. And, and I really don't want to have anything to do with it. I, I, I want to, you know, just, I just want to sit back and just go, you guys are crazy. You are, I don't know what you're thinking. You're evil. You're mean. You know what? I, I think God's going to judge you and I'm just going to step away, right? Because I don't want to be a part of this. But we have this crazy thing that God draws us into, our culture. He draws us into these places where we like, no, I don't want to be a part of that. No, that's, that's evil. There's bad things going on there. I don't, want to, I don't want anything to do with that. But he draws us into that. In uh, the chap- uh, previous chapters of Corinthians, in chapter 5 and 6, we, heard, we saw that the Corinthian church was, was capitulating to the culture. They were allowing the culture to, to change the way that they did church, change the way that they even understood theology, right, and understand the gospel message. 
uh, especially in chapter 6. They were allowing, you know, Christians to just kind of continue to live sinful lives, immoral lives, and no one was doing anything about it. And, and so we see this for two chapters where Paul is kind of railing against the Corinthian church. What are you doing? Why are you letting the culture change you? Why are you getting enculturated? Would you, you need to separate yourself. You need to recognize that what God has called us to is different from the world. That you can't just take what the world is offering and add it to Christianity. Or you can't just keep living your life in this culture and grab Christianity and add it as a label. That, that Christianity is wholly different from this culture. So two chapters on that. And now, chapters 7 and 8, he's going to spend two chapters on the other side. Saying, no, 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 there's some of you here that are, that, and, and this is reality, in the Corinthian church, there were some of them who were rejecting the culture on the other side. I mean, some had capitulated, then the other side were like, oh, they were just, they were totally rejecting the culture. They're totally pushing themselves away from the culture, totally isolating themselves from the culture. They, they had nothing but negative to say. As a matter of fact, anything that, the, many things that the culture would support, they were like, no, 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 we're not going to be a part of that because we are free in Christ, because those are the things that we don't do as Christians. I mean, we can, we have, we've been called to a higher standard. And so the Corinthians, some Corinthians were pushing away the culture and totally rejecting it and isolating themselves. Examples that we see in the chapters before us, first of all, was sexual relations were expected in the marriage. And so Christians were actually rejecting that perspective and abstaining in God's name. There was, uh, it was acceptable in the culture for husbands to divorce. Women certainly could divorce, but it was much less acceptable. Yet, so the Christians step in, they're like, we're free, we're equal, we're all one, and so we have the same rights as men, and so that means that we should be able to divorce our unbelieving husbands. Slavery was an acceptable thing, a form of labor in the culture. And so Christians who were slaves were fighting against their masters, demanding their freedom because, hey, we are free in Christ. The, the requirement, actually, of marriage to be holy in the church. They, they were rebelling not just against the culture, but also the religious perspectives of the, of the culture. That marriage, you had to be, in the, in the Jewish world, you had to be married in order to be fully holy. This was part of doing what God had called us to do, to, to, be, to, to, to become one with a, a you know, man or a wife, and then to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply. This was part of being holy. And so Christians in Corinth were rejecting marriage altogether. Circumcision was another requirement of the church for true holiness. And Christians, again, were rejecting that, and even some were trying to or attempting to reverse the circumcision so that they could say, hey, I'm not circumcised, right? Because they wanted to reject that. This is the Corinthian church. They're rejecting the culture. This is some of them in there, right? They, this is what they're doing. They're fighting and they're pushing it all away. We see this in our culture today. Previously, we saw that we as a, a church, as churches in, the, in America, we have a tendency to capitulate. We saw that, that was theologically, methodologically, moral, morally. We, we tend to tolerate sin among our Christians, right? And so we've seen that tendency, but we also have this same tendency, some of us, to reject the culture outright. To be extremely judgmental of our culture. To isolate ourselves from the culture and from our church. Some of the examples of that in our world today are, first of all, our government. Some of us reject our government completely. The 
you know, things like abortion and gay marriage. We, we see our government going this way that is obviously against Scripture, and we, well, what do we do with that, right? And so some of us are just totally, we rail against our government, and, and we push away, and, and we, we even focus on the individual politicians that have done these things, that attack them as well. We, we also look at businesses who are not righteous or holy, you know, Starbucks being, of course, the grand poopah of all. Right? I mean, they're so, they've done, done so many things that are against what we believe as Christians, right? And so there's this push against Starbucks or even individual bosses, the people that we work for, right? Sometimes they're just unholy and mean and evil people. And so we push back against them and seek to reject and, and separate. Educational system, uh, you know, the teaching of evolution and human sexuality, uh, reasons to be upset, right? Reasons for us to be concerned with our kids getting educated in this system. And so as a result, we, again, push back and reject the culture and seek, seek to separate. State and our city, you know, taxes, you know, and marijuana legalization, these kind of things. And again, all about this idea that the culture... Our, our government, our structures, our systems around us are, are getting more and more unholy, and so we are seeking to separate ourselves from them. We become more and more critical, and more and more, uh, and we attack them more, and more and more isolate ourselves. And we do this in the church as well, in the area of accountability. You know, Christians don't think that they should have to be accountable to the church today. Like, you know, the church tries to call them to account on a result of sin or a result of some conflict going on that they haven't resolved. They, uh, we're out. I'm leaving. You don't have any right to tell me, you know, to front me on this. Or just, in general, membership and commitment to a church. To expect that, uh, that people are going to actually be committed to an individual church. You know, I, I, I attend a lot of different churches, right? So, you know, I don't, you have to be just in one, right? The typical responses today to our government and these systems and these educational systems and, and even in the church is to three main typical responses. First of all, to express judgment. Again, we, we, we are not afraid. It, it, you know, it, it, the, the guy standing on the street corner with the sign that says, repent for the end is near, right, has been replaced by Facebook, right, or, face, or by social media. Right, where we do the same thing, we can proclaim the judgment on this culture. We, we, we look at our culture, we say, this culture is evil, America is evil, it's going, it's going to hell in a handbasket, you know, this kind of perspective, and we're not afraid, some of us, to, to communicate it, to say it out loud, to say it publicly. We, we you know, even some of our, uh, our church leaders ha have said that, you know, God has lifted his hand of protection on America, and if we don't do something, he is going to destroy us, right? So we love to do this, typical responses that we have. Some of us as well look at just active resistance, not only publicly criticizing, but we're actually working, some of us, to destroy certain organizations or certain systems or certain politicians, to actually take them out of leadership, to get them out, because they are so evil, they are so bad that we need to take them down. And some of us, unfortunately, have gone to the extent of being kind of militant about it where we're causing physical harm to person or property the third typical response, and maybe this is where most of us lie, is isolation. 
We just seek to, seek to separate ourselves. We, we refuse to participate in what they're doing. We refuse to be involved in anything that they, are, they have going on, right? We, we remove our kids from the education system. We, we remove ourselves from the government system. We seek to kind of live off the grid or further out of town where we don't have to worry about the chaos of the city. Some of us boycott businesses or cities or states. And we're just going to move. We're just going to get out of here because this is just, this is a horrible place to live. This is a bad place. It's just not good. It's evil. And so I'm just going to get away from it. The motivations for these responses and our, our, our purpose to, or, or our tendency to reject culture are, are good. They're good motivations. It, it comes from a zeal for God, right? It comes from us desiring to, to see God's name proclaimed, that, that his ways would be seen in, 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 in our world, right? That, but in that, we, we have this sense that it's our job to defend God. Second uh, motivation is just a desire to see heaven on earth, that, that if we can do these things, that, that actually we can see this heaven on earth, that we can have this utopia. It's a Christian mindset of this Christian utopia here on earth now. We can, if we just, just kind of take over all these things, if we can just get you know, out the evil and put all good people in and have all good laws, then we're going to have this amazing like heavenly realm here on earth and in our nation perspective is that our job is to bring heaven to earth. Third good motivation is moral accountability. That, that, that you know, we are trying to hold up this world to, to be accountable to God's moral laws. That, that this world would operate on God's laws. That, that it's our job to hold the world and even the church accountable. Finally, personal salvation is another good motivation that, that, we, that we take this personally. That this, it's my relationship with God, that, that I have this, you know, relationship, and because of that, uh, it's my job, it's our job to decide the path of my maturity. And so I need to make these decisions about what I allow myself to be involved in, and what kind of evil I allow myself to be a part of, and that I need to kind of limit that intake, and that I need to make those decisions of where I'm going to be involved, and decide which church I need to be involved in. However, pushing back against those good motivations, we see a biblical perspective that is maybe slightly different. We see clearly in Scripture that God defends himself. He doesn't need us to defend him. I mean, look at, look at, look at, look at Egypt, right? Moses, the Israelites, they just, they just left Egypt, right? And, and they're out in the wilderness and they're, bumped up against the Red Sea, and here comes the Egyptian army. And, and what does God say? I mean, the people are freaking out, right? I mean, I would be too, right? I think we all would be freaking out. Uh, thank you, Lord, for bringing us out in the desert to die, because obviously there wasn't enough, you know, graves, you know, in, in Egypt for us to die there, right? We, I think we would have done the same thing. And so what does God say? He says, the Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is be still. Exodus 14, verse 14. You just got to stop and let me fight this battle, right? Now, now sometimes we have a, a role to play in defending God, but it is not our responsibility to defend God. Another biblical perspective is that God brings heaven to earth in us. 
He brings heaven to earth in us. It's, it's our presence here with the Spirit's presence in us that makes a difference. Consider Joseph. Joseph with Potiphar, right? I mean, it, there's this amazing verse in Genesis chapter 39, verse 3. It says, it says that everything that, that Joseph did, what he was overseeing, prospered. He was successful in everything. And Potiphar, who was not a Jew, not a Christian, recognized that. And he said, oh my gosh, there's some good things going on here. Let me put him in charge of more stuff because I am benefiting from this. The culture and the world benefits from us just being here because of the Spirit in us. It's not that we have to necessarily be militant. It's not necessarily that we have to enforce God's will. It's not that we have to make heaven on earth happen. Heaven on earth has happened. It's here in the form of us with the Spirit indwelling us. Certainly sometimes we need to escape evil. Sometimes we need a break from evil. Sometimes we need to step away from the culture and recover. But understand that God, God's plan, God's desire to influence and change his culture is through us being involved. God calls us to bless the world, not to curse it. We are meant to bless the world. You know, this goes back to Abram, right? In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. That promise continues to this day through Christians on the earth. God has called us not to curse the world, not to curse the culture, not to judge the culture, but to simply bless the culture. This is what we're called to. This is how we're supposed to interact with this world, is seeking to to bless them. Sometimes, certainly, we have to stand up and proclaim God's truth boldly in this culture. But again, we're here to bless them. final perspective, biblical perspective I wanted to address is that God uses evil to mold us. God is in the business of redemption. And every evil and struggle and chaos and things that we face in this world, God will use it for our benefit if we let him. If we are striving to live our life totally isolated from struggle and pain and evil, then then we're going to miss out on something. Those are opportunities for God to develop in us, to expose our weaknesses, to expose the areas where we need to grow. And so we need to be open to that and recognize that. Consider David and and, and Shammai. David's, you know, cruising cruising along with his army, right? And and he's just kind of on a a nice little walk and hanging out. and, And there's this guy up on the cliff. And he's throwing rocks at the king of Israel. I mean, this guy, David is not like some slouch, like he's not just some second-class king. No, he is like the king of the world in a sense right now. Right? I mean, he is this big dude. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, he's not tall. I mean, he's short like me, you know, because all holy people are short like me. But anyway, uh, it's in Scripture. You should read it. I mean, all the good guys are all short guys. I mean, it's just amazing. Anyway, um, but I digress. Anyway, uh, so David's like a king, right? I mean, he's, like a, he's got a lot of power. And there's this guy up on the cliff throwing rocks at the king. 
One of, you know, David's soldiers like, hey, you want me to go take this guy out? <laughs> you know, and, and David's, no, 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 let's not let him do that. Why? And because why does David say it? Because who knows, he says, if this man was sent by God to challenge me. This guy's throwing rocks, he's throwing curses, and David doesn't think, oh, let's just get rid of this evil. He's like, God, what are you doing in this? Is there something in this? Are you trying to teach me something? Are you trying to show me something? There are certainly some times when we need to step away from evil and culture in order to grow, in order to develop, and God will use those times to, 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 to work in us. But there's also times when we need that evil. It's how we can expose. God, that's how sometimes God can expose our weaknesses. So what we need in, I think, our churches today is also, I think this is what Paul is calling uh, the Corinthians to and, to, uh, and us to. He's calling us to humility. He says, each of, you know, each of us has these hot buttons, right? These, these things in culture that are really a big deal for us. That, that we really rail against. That it, whatever, whatever reason, maybe it's our own life experience or, 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 or whatever, I, we get really fired up about. Maybe it's abortion. Maybe it's, maybe it's gay marriage. Maybe it's the schools and what's going on in our educational system. I don't know what it is for you. All of us have these hot button issues. All of us have these issues that we really get on fire and zealous for the Lord in. But here's the reality. None of us are zealous about all of the issues that God is zealous about. We, we have our own little areas, right? And so we may be really all about abortion, but we're ignoring education, right? And maybe we're all about education, but we're ignoring gay marriage, right? So what do we do with that, right? I mean, we need to be humble. We need to recognize that we don't know it all. We, we don't have it all, right? We, there's more out there for us that we don't understand. None of us are equally appalled by all sin. Matter of fact, we often kind of let our own sin go pretty, pretty well. Second, this called humility, we need to give grace to those who are caught in this culture. You know, no one lives or acts in a vacuum. Sometimes the way we interact with people that are in these businesses or in these politicians that, that have these, you know, evil perspectives in our mind, right? We sometimes look at them as if they're, they're just evil incarnate. And maybe they are, but what is going on in their life? Why are they where they are? Sometimes it's just they just happen to be there. Sometimes there's pressures from outside of them that are forcing them to behave these ways and to believe these things. So to give them a benefit of the doubt, to give them some grace, to recognize that maybe they're just as trapped as maybe we feel we are, and that we just need to reach out and love them in that. We also need to give grace to our fellow believers, because this is where it can be really ugly, is that sometimes we get all fired up, our hot button issue, and we begin to talk to other people, other Christians, and they don't feel the same passion that we feel about it, and so we begin to judge fellow Christians. How could you not believe? How could you not be? How could you not? You voted for? Oh my God! Yeah, this kind of thing, right? It, we we do it, and we begin to actually separate from each other because we don't have they don't have the same perspective that I have on that hot button issue. So to not judge Christians who don't respond like we do, to to not expect that all Christians are going to criticize and resist and isolate like we may. 
And then finally, in regards to humility, that we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. These are complex times, complex issues. You know, people are not easy, right? I mean, they have all these, you know, uh, you know personality tests, right, and aptitude tests and all these kinds of stuff where they love to put people in boxes, right? Uh, ENFJ over here, thank you very much. A nine on Enneagram, thank you very much. You know, so we have all these little, you know, boxes we put people in, but the reality is, is no one can be put in a box. You know, usually they have, you know, a good one has 16 boxes, you know, 16 different boxes that you can have different, 16 different personality types. Oh my gosh, there are so many, there's billions of personality types. It's a complex issue that we're dealing with. If people, individual people are that complex, how complex is culture? And people's interaction in culture. So we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because there are times for us to be critical, to resist and to stand up and isolate and to be heard. But there's also times when we need to be quiet. We need to learn more when we need to actually engage in it and be a part of what's going on. We need wisdom and discernment to know. Which leads me to, I think, the, the, the main point of this message this morning, and that's for us to engage in our culture. The reality is, is that change in our culture is only going to happen by us engaging in it. We, 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 can cha- we can only change it from within. If we stand back and point fingers, we can't very effectively change it. But if we step in and develop relationships, then we have an opportunity for change. If we isolate, we can't influence we have to infiltrate the system. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives that they glorify God. So live such good lives in front of evil people, bad people, that they may glorify God. The way to influence our culture, to get our culture to glorify God, is for us to live righteously in their midst. Not isolated that we would be a, a light in the darkness. That we would show them what true love is. Matthew 13, Matthew 14. You, speaking to Christians, the disciples, to the church, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is what we are called to as Christians. We cannot influence the culture. Salt has no effect if it isn't pushed into the meat. We need to be involved in the culture. Light has no effect if we hide it. If we put a bowl over it, if we put it in the corner and close the door so that no one can get in. The only way that light will affect the culture is if it's in the culture, that we would get into this world. Third, that we would not throw out the baby with the bathwater. We tend to look at culture and see all the evil things. And because there's all these evil things in it, we just want to get rid of it all. It's just, it's all bad. It's all corrupted. It's all tainted. So we're just going to dump it out. But broken systems have broken people. The whole thing is not bad. There's people within it that are trapped. People that are in it who are desperate. People are in it who need Jesus. And we need to engage. We need to be there. They need, we need to seek the good that is within. 
that we would find those good people and those good organizations and those good things that are happening in our culture and that we would celebrate them. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the spiritual realities of this world. That tells us, again, that it's not necessarily the people who are evil. It is what is going on behind the scenes that is generating and creating this. And again, don't get me wrong, there are some people that have just totally capitulated to evil and are evil. But we need to continue to pursue them. We need to continue to pursue this culture and the people who are in it, who have been, who have been basically lied to in a lot of ways. People who have been deceived in this culture. That we would step in and, and relate to them and interact with them and be with them. Finally, that we would be open to, to be changed ourselves. Because anytime we're going to engage in relationship, it has to be authentic relationship. Anytime we step into the culture and we think, okay, I'm just going to have a relationship with you because you need help. That's not relationship, right? It has to be authentic. In other words, we have to come in it with it recognizing that God's going to bless us too. That God's going to serve us. He's going to care for us in this. That we're going to learn something. So often we can be so isolated as Christians that we have a perspective. In essence, we've been brainwashed and we've been totally closed off to what is actually going on in the culture. And so if we ever have a relationship with someone, they begin to challenge our Christianity and we go, oh, I don't know how to answer that question. And so we run and isolate ourselves again because, oh, that's scary. The reality is, is Christianity can handle every question that anyone has ever will, has and ever will come up with. Every challenge to God will, can be and is answered by God. We don't have to be afraid of those questions. But if our faith has never been challenged, if we've never seen God show up in the midst of that, then we, we're afraid of it. And we have this perspective that we just cast everyone in the same light. They're all evil, they're all ugly, they're just, I just don't want to be around them. We need to recognize that if we interact with them, they're going to challenge us. They're going to change us. And hopefully we're going to change them too. We could share the love of Christ with them. We could help them to understand who God is. We need to find God in the struggle. 1 Peter 3.14 says, Even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. That, that we would be willing to suffer for what is right. That we would get involved in this culture. Let me be clear. The American culture is certainly got some significant issues. <laughs> it is not a Christian culture anymore. It is, it is sprinting away from the, the, the biblical morality that for most of its existence so far was kind of what based how we interacted with one another, how we did things in the world and in our government systems. It, it is sprinting away from those values. And we as Christians are getting more and more and more pushed to the edges of culture. And the, the tendency is to actually to continue to just isolate ourselves because it's so ugly and it's so evil and it's so, oh my gosh, and they're attacking us and they're mean to us and they're saying bad things and judging us and, and, and it's just afraid, I'm afraid to say I'm a Christian anywhere. And so our tendency is to just continue to, to back away. 
and continue to disappoint our fingers and continue to say things like, you know what, God's hand has been removed, protection, God's hand of protection has been removed from this country and it's going to be wiped out. And so some of us maybe have even thought about maybe I should move to Canada, right? Or maybe I should move to New Zealand. I don't know. Maybe I should get out of this country because God's going to bring judgment and I don't want to be here for it. There's reasons for us to stand up to this culture and let them know that, hey, that you're not doing things the way you should. This, this is not right. These are bad things. You are, you're acting in ways that are evil. There's, there's a place for that. But, but we need to continue to engage. Because change only comes through that engagement. If we continue to back away as Christians, the culture is just going to There's no hope for the culture. If less and less Christians are going to be involved and be engaged in it, then that means the culture is going to continue to get worse and worse. Become more and more hedonistic, more and more evil, more and more in Satan's column. If, we, if there's any hope for our culture, it's by Christians continuing to engage. Looking at previous messages, not capitulating to the culture, Still standing strong on God's word, but still engaging in the culture. Participating in what's going on around us. To be involved in our schools. To be involved in the government process. To be involved in the na- our neighborhoods and in our, in our cities and what's going on. That, that we would be engaged in that. That we would be looking for opportunities to engage and interact with people who don't know Jesus. That we would look for that opportunity. Because that's where God's going to bring about change. That's the only hope our culture has. All right, worship team, please come forward. And I'll just give you this final thought. I kind of wrote out a paragraph here, so it'll be on the screen. I know it won't be up there long enough for you to write it down, but uh, maybe after the service we can put it back up there for those who would like to, to write it down. As our culture drifts further away from its moorings in biblical morality, Christians need to resist the temptation of judgmentalism and isolation. The only chance for our culture has of reversing its course is for the church to continue to engage in government, business, schools, neighborhoods, and families. May we embrace our place within this culture and allow the Holy Spirit to use us to bring greater righteousness, grace, and love to our nation. Amen.